Let's pray. Lord, we stand in awe of you, your creation, your grace, your love, your pursuit of each one. We're here today and in other parts of the world, there's great suffering, fear, angst, and war. We just sang and we saw the faces of those from other corners of our world. The fact that you died to save all. Lord, this morning we want to bring to you the crisis in Ukraine. As the church here at Uniontown, we don't want to be callous or indifferent to the suffering that's occurring today in Ukraine. Help us to be fervent in prayer and help us to keep those nations in our foresight, in our sights. Lord, we give you this situation, the chaos, the war, the senseless fighting. Right now, in this moment, would you be with those in the midst of conflict? Would you protect? Would you guide? Would you encourage those people, the ones hiding in bunkers and the ones out in the midst of the battle? One of our global partners here at church, Every Child is Worthy, works closely with special needs orphans in Ukraine, would you bring wisdom, protection, safety, and peace to that specific population in Ukraine? Can you imagine the trauma of being an orphan, the complexity of special needs, and then the fear of war around you? Protect them, Father protect their minds, their bodies, and their spirits? Would they sense your love right now in this moment? Lord, we also want to pray for our world leaders. Bring people, situations, circumstances into the lives of the leaders so that they may come to a full surrender to Jesus. Lord, I want to pray right now specifically for Putin. I pray that he would bow his knee to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And Lord, we know that in persecution and in trial, the gospel becomes so real to those in the midst of suffering. When you're faced with war, with death, with evil, you can't help but think of your standing with God. So I pray that during this crisis, many, many people would come to a saving knowledge of you. Lord, embolden believers, embolden missionaries to share of your love and your hope. Give them strength. Help them to rely on the Holy Spirit in their lives. May many, many people surrender their hearts to you, Father. So Lord, we give you this situation feels out of control. It needs your touch, your hand, your power to break through. We know that you're the God who knows all, who sees all, and who isn't surprised by anything occurring right this very moment. Lord, may we rest and trust in you. We place this war in your hands. Ultimately, we want you, God, to receive more glory even in this. So I pray this 
all of this in the mighty, just, omniscient, omnipresent, powerful name of Jesus. All God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Good morning. I'm Miles Bry, one of the elders here at Uniontown, and uh, I'm going to give today's reading, and that reading will come from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 through 14. So if you have your Bible, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 through 14. But sexual immorality and any impurity or greed should not even be heard among you as is proper for saints. Obscene and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving thanks. For know and recognize this, every sexual, immoral, or impure, or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty arguments, for God's wrath is coming on the disobedient. Because of these things, therefore, do not become their partners. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Testing what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful to even mention what is done by them in secret. Everything exposed by the light is made visible, for what makes everything visible is light. Therefore, it is said, get up, sleeper, and rise up from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Let's bow our heads now. Let's uh, pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this morning. What an amazing time it's already been. Uh, for our church family of faith, and what an honor it is to be in the presence with them, serving and glorifying you. Lord, we worship you. We worship you because you are the giver of life who loves us, who grows us, and has sought us while we were yet sinners. As our living hope, you offer each of us a com complete forgiveness. You are our rock, our mighty fortress, and our hiding place. Holy are you, Lord, and worthy of all praise and honor. Thank you for adopting us into your family. Father God, we've just prayed, Mark has in detail on the crisis and the war, Lord. This has been a stressful week. We would pray for our leadership in our country. Lord, we pray for our president, for his security, for the Congress, for all of our national leaders, state and local Father God, we're mindful that family members within our congregation have loved ones who are serving in the military, and we're hearing reports that the military is on the move. Change us in a new way to deepen our dependence on you alone. We pray for their safety. Watch over them throughout what awaits them. For our global partners around the world, we thank you for their obedience and passion for sharing the gospel message in regions that, that are different from the comfort and familiarity that we enjoy here at home. 
and we single out our global partners in the Ukraine and Russia, and we pray for protection as they minister to those who have yet to know the hope that is found in you alone. Finally, Lord, we pray for our pastor, Pastor Frank, as he delivers this morning's message. Thank you for his giftedness and devotion to your word as he delivers the eternal hope that can only be found in you. And Lord, we pray all this in your name, Jesus, our resurrected King. Amen. 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 Thanks, man. All right, so take your Bibles, if you haven't already, and turn over there to uh, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 is where we're going to be this morning as we jump in together. I'm going to ask for your forgiveness ahead of time. Uh, I will let you know there's going to be some jumping around. I will attempt to lead you there and not leave you stranded uh, in Ephesians 5 as I'm talking. Uh, I will also ask for your forgiveness if suddenly I begin to lose um, concentration. I'm a little jet lagged. Uh, My wife and I just returned from a wonderful trip to Israel. I'm not exactly sure where I am or what day it is. So if I fall asleep in the middle of this, it's just me imitating you on Sunday mornings. So, <laughs> just kidding. Hey, let me ask you a question while I'm talking about sleeping. Uh, if it's embarrassing, please don't raise your hand. But have any of you experienced sleepwalking before? Sleepwalking? Raise your hand. And that can get really awkward sometimes, can it? Um, we don't have sleepwalkers in our family. We have something far more enjoyable. Sleep talkers. I don't know if you've got to experience that. that. That certainly lends itself to some unique moments and opportunities, not the least of which we had one event happen. Uh, Jordan, our oldest, was maybe in second grade. Um, a little side thing here, uh, just to prove the point that I'm going to jump all over the place. I have this, this, this gift from God that he gave to me, which I'm really appreciative of, is that when we had babies, I could sleep all night no matter what the baby did. So I'd wake up in the morning and be like, wow, the baby slept through the night, huh? And my wife would just glare at me. Um, So that wasn't true. Um, But then for some reason, a switch clicks. And and, and I don't know what age it was. I don't know if it was being a toddler or whatever. But all of a sudden, Stephanie wouldn't hear anything. And I would wake up for everything. So I guess it's only fair, right? Uh, So my second grader comes into the room. It's the middle of the night. And for whatever reason, even though the kids know that mom has one priority in the middle of the night, and that is to go back to sleep, and yet they still would go to her side of the bed to try to engage her in conversation if they needed something in the middle of the night. So this one particular moment, my, my second grader comes in, I can hear him come in, and he walks right over to her side of the bed, and he starts talking to her, but mom, I don't remember what it was, mom, I don't feel well, mom, I think I need a drink, mom, I'm just very, mom, and, and Stephanie just rolls over kind of props herself up and says, much to the bewilderment of my second grader, all right, just go work on your project. And it was pitch dark in there, so I couldn't see anything, but I could feel the look my son was giving her at that moment. Like, what? Like, dude, come over here. I, I got you. So, so she might have seemed like she was awake, but in fact, she was still asleep. What Paul tells the church at Ephesus, particularly in verse 14, is this. Wake up. I know. 
It seems like you're awake. It seems like you're functioning. It seems like you're alert. But obviously there are some things that you need to pay attention to. And he says in verse 14, get up, sleeper, rise up from the dead. Christ will shine on you. He says, wake up. Jesus Christ has come as the light. And so, so everything in the world has been exposed to his light. What that means is the world and its darkness and its brokenness and its wickedness and its sin has been put on full display. So everybody can see it because Jesus Christ, the light of the world, has come and he has shined his light in the world. And Paul here in verse 14 looks like he's going back to Isaiah 60. He says, now now Jesus has risen from the grave. He's revealed himself as the light of the world. So you, O children of light, need to wake up and live by what he says is truth. Wake up wake up. So what is it that he's calling us to besides wake up? He's calling us to live as children of light. What does that look like? Look at verse, we didn't read this, but look at verse 1 of chapter 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. Walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and a fragrant offering to God. He says, what you need to do is wake up Live as children of the light. I want you to imitate God and imitate his love. Now, now please understand. You don't live this certain way in order to become a loved child of God. You live this way because you have already been made a loved child of God. All other religions in the world will try to tell you that if you can find a way to keep the laws of God, you can then become a child of God. Christianity, the the way of Christ and the teaching of Scripture is the only place that we find in the entire world that reverses that. And so Christianity reverses that. It tells us you have been made a child of God by the grace and mercy of God. It's a gift. And now, as a result of the gift that's been given to you, you should want to, to imitate him because you love him. And so everything that comes out of you should be an imitation of that God who loves you. So because God has shown you love in Jesus Christ, we should try to walk in that love. And when you do, you see results. Look at verse 9. The results of walking in light, the results of imitating him and his love, verse 9, the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth, testing what is pleasing to the Lord, that what ends up happening is you end up looking, instead of like a culture-shaped person, you look like a Christ-shaped person. And and I'm going to tell you right now, too many times Christians are so focused on culture that we make the way we live usually just to be a pendulum opposite of the way the world lives. And so what ends up happening is the world actually is still defining how we live. So let me stare at them, and they do this and do that and do this, and we shouldn't do that just because of them. And and, and he says, no, stop making yourself a culture-shaped person. You should be a Christ-shaped person. You should be a a person who's marked by goodness and righteousness and and the truth of the gospel in every area of your life. You should be a a Christ-shaped person who, who understands that first and foremost, you are a sinner, You understand that, right? A culture-shaped person instead would be like, no, actually, I have been sinned against. That's my identity. No! Your identity is that you are a sinner, lost, separated from God, and you are unable to do anything about it yourself, but God. It's a glorious phrase. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of the love that he had for you, he has made 
you alive together with Christ. But God sent his son to take your place so that you and God could be reconciled in relationship. You need to be a Christ-shaped person, not a culture-shaped person. The people who walk in the light are a people not only who are Christ-shaped people, but in verse 10, they're also a people who test everything to see what God would think about it. It says, testing what is pleasing to the Lord, testing everything. It's done with intentionality. You can't just assume that what you are going to do, how you are going to react, what, the, the way you are going to behave, you can't just assume that you are going to act, behave, or react in ways that are simply appropriate just because you're following your heart. That's not the message of the Bible. That's the message of Walt Disney. Right? Walt Disney, just follow your heart and everything will be fine. Uh, no. The Bible teaches us that our hearts are desperately wicked. And we can't even comprehend the depth of our wickedness. And Disney hasn't done that movie yet. But you can see it in Scripture, can't you? You can see it in Genesis 3. You can see it in Genesis 4. You can see it in Genesis 6, Genesis 16, Genesis 20, Genesis 24. 20. I mean, you just go through Scripture. You can see it everywhere you look in our world today. Our hearts are desperately wicked. So, so, so how, how do we test all these things? How do we decide what it is that God has called us to? How, how do we determine what it is that we're supposed to do? How we're supposed to act? What we're not supposed to do? But simply put, look at chapter 4. Paul's walked through in chapter 4 and just laid all of these things out. He says, what I want you to do, first and foremost, is live a life that is worthy of the calling that you have experienced. What is that calling? That calling is, is God's invitation to you to enter into a relationship with him through the finished work of Christ. And that invitation is so powerful and wonderful and miraculous and so grace-filled and mercy-bathed that when you receive it, the expectation then is you understand how much love and devotion you owe to God. And instead of just living any way you want, you live according to the, the, the calling that has been placed on your life. You live according to that relationship that is in you. What does that look like? It looks like a life, verse 2 of chapter 4, that's marked by humility and gentleness, patience, a bearing with one another in love. It looks like speaking the truth in love, verse 15. It looks like growing in every way into him who is the head, Jesus Christ. It looks like what Patrick preached on last week, verse 25, putting away lying, speaking the truth to your neighbor, being angry and not sinning, not letting the sun go down on your anger, not giving the devil an opportunity or a foothold in your relationships. Not stealing, but instead doing an honest day's work. No foul language coming from your mouth. It, it means putting away bitterness and anger and wrath. No shouting. And I'm sorry, I realize I'm shouting. That's ironic. <laughs> no slander. But instead, kindness and compassion towards one another. Forgiveness towards one another. Why? Because God has also forgiven you in Jesus Christ. The one who walks as a child of the light is the one who walks in such a way that they examine, they test everything to see if their words, their thoughts, their actions might put a smile on God's face. So what Paul says is, in this dark world, live as children of the light. Verse 11, don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. Everything exposed by the light 
is made visible. So, so how do you expose the darkness? It's okay, real simple. Real simple. If Sorry, my microphone moved up. So, so if you walk into a dark room, no lights are on, no windows, and it's just pitch dark in there, how do you remove the darkness? Do, do you stand there and lecture it? Do you yell at it? Stop being dark! No. You turn on the light. And when you turn the light on, darkness flees. And how do you turn on the light? Well, we saw it in Ephesians 4. But here in verse 11, he tells us the other way is you don't participate in fruitless works. What do you mean you don't participate? Okay, flip it back again, verse 3. Here's what he tells us. Don't participate in these things, verse 3. Avoid sexual immorality and any impurity. So that's the area. The Greek word is porneia. It's the word we get pornography from. That sexual immorality and impurity means any sexual activity that goes beyond the good boundaries that God has placed around it. In other words, marriage. The world would teach us that sex is just us following the instincts of our bodies because it feels right, it seems right, it's a passionate moment, so I must pursue that. And that is not the teaching of scripture. The teaching of scripture about sex is very simple. Sex is the union of the souls, not just the union of two bodies. One pastor calls it the mingling of souls. The, the sexual relationship, the act of sex is an act of love and oneness and commitment. Where the, where the oneness of your body in that moment or the oneness on your bodies in that moment is matched only by the oneness in every other area of your life in that same moment. It's not just a physical uh, oneness. It's a spiritual oneness. It's a financial oneness. It's a future oneness. You have made a covenant with this person and you have chosen to spend Forever with each other, you are committed towards each other, no matter how difficult or how easy it may be. And the act of sex is not just about that physical moment. It's not just about doing what feels good in the moment. That's the selfish approach that the world would take to sex. And, and if, that's the, if that's the pill that you've swallowed, if that's what you have pursued, then what you're doing is simply taking advantage of the physical union, and you're avoiding having to give the rest of yourself to that person. Paul says, listen, let me tell you, if you're going to walk as children of the light, you don't participate in sex that way. We'll talk about more that more in just a couple minutes. But it's more than just uh, sexual immorality. It's more than just impurity. He continues on and says, you don't participate in greed, the uncontrollable desire for things. So, so it was a couple of years ago. It still happens a little bit, but not as much. Probably five, six years ago, there was a, a movement on social media where people would take pictures of things like that they really were proud of and they would post it. So, so they got a new truck and psh, take the picture of the new truck, post it on Instagram, write a little something about it, and then they would hashtag it, truck porn. Take a picture of the meal, big steak, psh, food porn. 
It wasn't entirely a joke. Because what that was is a picture of how, as Americans in particular, we like to push the bounds of desire. It wasn't about appreciating something that was good in the world. It was, it was moving into the area of sharing and encouraging greed and uncontrolled desire in other people. You should desire this. That's the culture we live in, isn't it? Paul says, if you're going to walk as children of the light, you don't participate in greed. And then verse 4. Obscene and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable. Not only do you not participate in sexual immorality and impurity, not only do you not participate in greed, but you don't participate in obscene talking, in gutter talk, in inappropriate joking. Let me, let me be clear. I'm going to be very careful. I don't want to paint a picture and you're like, wow, that guy is messed up. I am messed up, okay? But I really don't want you to hear this as me preaching down to you because I will own this. Uh, I've told you in the past, this shouldn't be a surprise to you, I have told you in the past that almost all of my apologies begin with, I'm sorry, I thought it would be funny. Right? And I live that out every day. And sometimes I can take things a little too far. And so this isn't me preaching down at you, this is me preaching up. Because I'm down here. Paul says there is no place for this. There is no place for the type of talking that gets hushed when mom walks in the room. Foolish talking, crude joking, that's, that's, that's about using sex for a laugh. That's our entertainment industry today, isn't it? It's taking the the beauty of God's creation, things that are meant to be wonderful, things that are meant to be enjoyable, and turning them into some type of barroom joke in order to get a cheap laugh. And Paul says, if you are walking as children of the light, if you are walking in a manner that is worthy of the calling that has been extended to you, you don't participate in this. You don't participate in sexual immorality, you don't participate in greed, and you don't participate in an obscene, just foolish talking Crude joking. Why? <laughs> this is one of those moments where you could literally do the, the old parent thing where it's like, so why don't we participate? Because God said so. I'll give you a little more than that, though. Now, let me be clear. Let me tell you the opposite, not why don't we. Well, it's not because. I'll give you some of those, okay? It's not because God hates sex. Not at all. God is not prudish in his view on sex. Neither should his people be. I, I, I'll be careful, as careful as I can. God has called us to enjoy that physical relationship of sex within marriage. He's called us to enjoy it. It's throughout his word. If you're a parent of a middle schooler, take their Bible this afternoon and maybe they'll forget. But read Song of Solomon. The whole thing is talking about the beauty of the sexual union in that relationship. Read certain Proverbs I would read this morning, but it make, makes some of you blush. Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 13 tells us that the marriage bed is undefiled. That means what happens in that relationship is pure and right and good. 
Sex is a gift that God has given to his people to be enjoyed within the good boundaries that God has established, namely marriage. Within marriage, with your spouse, not a boyfriend, not a girlfriend, not somebody else's spouse, to be enjoyed with the one you have covenanted with. Oh, come on, Frank, that's so old-fashioned. How can you say to me that try to make me believe you're not some sort of prude and you don't think that sex is gross? Here's why. Understand this. I believe that the Bible teaches that God is honored with the relationship that believes that there is no sex before marriage or outside of marriage. But because God is so very good, if you do not have sex before marriage, you do not have sex while you are engaged, after you are married, you make up for lost time. That's a gift from God. He's so gracious and good. I'm not embarrassed about that at all. Enjoy it. It's a gift that God has given to you. It's meant to bring the gift of children into the world. And most of you are like, yeah, I'm good, thanks. Okay, fine, that's good. But the second purpose that we're given in Scripture for for the sexual relationship of marriage is not just for procreation, but it's also for enjoyment. Pleasure between husband and wife brings happiness in that relationship. There's a third. We're good. We're pretty happy people. Okay, that's fine. But the third reason we're given in Scripture for 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 the sexual relationship in marriage is is that relationship that that act of sex brings a unity and oneness to your marriage unlike any other relationship. It's not that God hates sex. It's that God wants what's best for us. And sex within the good boundaries that God has set for us is, in fact, best for us. Walk as a child of the light. It's not that God hates sex. It's not because God doesn't want us to have and to enjoy things. That's not why he tells us not to be greedy. And the things that God has created, those things are good and they should be received with a grateful and a thankful heart. I don't have time to go into it, but, but 1 Timothy chapter 4, the first four verses there, Paul talks about this group of people who are actually followers of Satan, who have risen up and said, you should deny yourself of this pleasure, you should deny yourself of this object, you should deny yourself of this type of food. And he says, if you follow that way of thinking, what, what Satan is doing is he is using that, 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 that ascetic life, that denying life, to create the picture that God's just mean. And I will tell you, God is not mean. The gifts that God has given us, whether it be food or possessions or whatever they might be, finances, grown-up toys where you get like, oh, look, I have one of those. I, I have a new set of golf clubs. I'm kind of excited about them. It's been a little too chilly to enjoy them, but I'm going to enjoy them to the fullest. Because that's a gift from God and my kids. Those things should be enjoyed. You should enjoy those things, but they need to be kept in their proper place. Let me, let me under, explain what I mean by that. If anything begins to, to cause you to lose sleep, if something that you own causes you in the middle of your day to just keep wandering off into a, a state of daydreaming about that possession, if you think about, about losing a possession and it freaks you out. 
If you spend an unbalanced amount of time, energy, or money on something you own, you don't own it, it owns you. And what Paul says in verse 5 is that you are an idolater because you are now worshiping the gift instead of worshiping the great God who has given it to you. But let me tell you, if God has given you things, if God has blessed you with something, if God has blessed you with lots of things, then that is his gift to you. So use it to serve him, use it to serve other people, and by all means, enjoy it. It's not that God doesn't want us to have and, and, and enjoy things, it's that God wants our hearts, and he knows our tendency is to pursue the things and leave him in the dirt, the dust, or the dirt, that works too. So it's not because God hates sex. It's not because God doesn't want us to have things. And it's not because God doesn't want us to laugh and enjoy life. God's not a killjoy. Right? God loves his people. There's an opportunity to laugh so many times. And actually, there's times to laugh uncontrollably. For a moment, just for a moment. Can you remember a time you laughed and you could not stop? Remember how much it hurt? There's a lot of times I can remember. Unfortunately, one of them was I almost killed my brother-in-law, but it was funny, so I laughed. We were, we were in a Jeep Wrangler. The top was off, the doors were off, and he was kind of standing in the back holding onto the roll bar, and we were um, driving. We were spotting deer up in Pennsylvania, and we came around the corner, and then all of a sudden this, this awesome shooting star storm. That's not what it's called. Meteor so star, meteor you know what I'm talking about. Fireballs were coming from heaven. So this terrible thing. I'm blaming Israel, okay? So um, this, this meteor storm was happening. It was pretty amazing. And we were paying attention to that, not really paying attention. I was driving the Jeep, and he was kind of hanging out of the back and not paying attention to the road. And um, a dog, which is not kept out when there's no doors or roof, came flying out of nowhere. and was just barking like crazy. And so my natural reaction is, I'm getting out of here. So I hammered it. And I saw his feet go by my head. And I laughed for hours. I laughed for hours. There's times when it's not appropriate to laugh. I'm still learning those boundaries. We had one in Israel. Um, <laughs> thankfully, it's not me. I'm telling on my wife, Stephanie. She, 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 she got the church giggles. You ever got the church giggles and you can't stop? We were at the Jordan River. And uh, our guide was like, listen, this is where Jesus was baptized. Probably not here, but somewhere up and down here. And so we're having this meaningful moment, and we're sitting by the Jordan River, and the fellas reading the, the passage about this glorious, glorious baptism of Jesus Christ, this moment where the Father's voice comes from heaven and says, that's my boy. That's my boy. And you listen to him. And the Holy Spirit descends like a dove. And that's all she had to hear. I mean, think about it. A dove, Right? graceful dove, but, but sitting right here was a duck. And she was like, man, imagine, thankfully he said dove, because if God had been like, the Holy Spirit descended like a duck, but a whole different picture, right? But thankfully it was a duck. she got the church giggles and could not stop, and it was awesome. awesome. See, God, God, God is not against 
humor. The crowds, as they listened to the teaching of Jesus, would have at least, if not laughed out loud, they actually, they would have been like, okay, that's pretty funny. Like when he's talking about the persistent widow who keeps going to the unjust judge to get, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this. And finally in that story, he says, the judge is like, oh, for crying out loud, whatever you want, woman. And Jesus says, that's how you should pray. The people would be like, okay, not exactly what I would have used, but that works. Or, hey, don't, when you're going to be generous, don't blow a trumpet. Okay. Or, or my personal favorite one is like, okay, so, so you're looking at your brother, and he's got a little speck in his eye. You've got to take care of that speck, right? Well, I mean, it's, it's good of you to be kind and, and, and want to help them, but it's pretty foolish for you to have a log in your eye and be like, dude, you got something in your eye, man. And we forget, it was funny. It was supposed to be funny. I will kill myself on that later. I guarantee it. I'll fall over it. And that'll be funny too. And every time I do stuff like that, I get stuff in my eye. <laughs> the Bible's filled with humor, though. You get the irony of the story of Jonah. Jonah's like, what, you want me to go to Nineveh? I'm going that way. And God says, ha, 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 fish. Puke. Right? And now we're going to head towards Nineveh because you said, okay, I'll go to Nineveh. And now I want you to preach this message. And Jonah's like, seriously, I'll preach it. Sure, I'll preach it. 40 days, you're all going to die. And God says, good enough. Poof! The entire nation repents. And Jonah pouts. I mean, that's, that's the irony, and that is, is, is funny. Elijah, with the prophets of Baal, having the contest on top of the mountain. It's like, okay, here's the sacrifice, here's the altar, and, 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 we're, and the prophets of Baal are just chanting and dancing and cutting themselves and trying to get Baal to, to respond and to, to throw fire down. And, and after an extensive amount of time, you get the picture of Elijah leaning up against a tree like, hmm, is he serving another customer? Uh, he must be busy. Oh, I know. He's in the bathroom. I mean, the, there's, there's coming a time. There's coming a time of laughter and joy like you and I can't even imagine. Even Job speaks of it. In Job chapter 8, who has gone through the most horrible situation in all of life, he has literally lost everything that is good to him. He has lost all of the people that he loves. His wife has looked him in the face and says, you should just curse God and die. And Job says, you know what I know? I know someday God's going to fill my mouth with laughter. Because he knew that someday, like Zephaniah 3 says, he's going to come into the presence of his king, and his king's not going to be like, ah, Guess who's here? Eh. It says he's going to rejoice over you with singing. That language means laughing, dancing, celebrating. The king of kings, the God of the universe, the one who created everything we see, the one who is just and holy and mighty and omnipotent is going to behave like one of us celebrating the Super Bowl of all things when he sees you. It's not that God is against laughter is that God doesn't want us to joke about things that are precious. Because when we joke about things that are precious, it makes it difficult for us to continue to treat them as precious. Why not participate in these things? The out-of-place sexual practices, the out-of-place greed, the out-of-place crude joking isn't harmless. In verse 6, don't let anyone deceive you with empty arguments, for God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of 
these things. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. And the whole world is trying to tell us otherwise. The whole world is telling us, man, as long as it's two consenting adults, it's okay. No, 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 no. Hey, I work hard, and so I want to spend as much money as I want on the toys that I want. You know, I need some downtime, so I'm just going to let myself go. I'm just going to give in. No, it's just a joke. It's, it's just sex. No! The wrath of God is falling on those who are locked into that way of life. And your participation in those things can do two things. First, it can lead those who are in darkness into further darkness. Because if you're doing it, then it must be okay. Second, it has no place among the children of the light. Because they have already been given so very much. He's given you the gift of sex. He's given you the joy of appropriate humor. He's given you the relationships that those are to be enjoyed in. But, but even more than that, you should be giving thanks for what Jesus did for you. He's loved you. He gave himself for you, even, even though it cost him everything. In that moment, he looked beyond the cross for the joy that was set before him. He looked beyond the cross because he knew his finished work on the cross, his glorious resurrection, would reunite you with God, and he did it with gladness of heart. You have so much to be thankful for. As a child of the light, what you are supposed to do is live in gratefulness, live in thankfulness. God has adopted you as his child. He has forgiven you. He has made you holy no matter what you feel like right now. He has lifted you up from sin and death. He has lifted you from judgment to life and to salvation. And what's amazing is verse 8 tells us, not only do you live in the light, you are light. You see that in verse 8? You were once darkness. But now you're light. So you're not running around trying to stay in the light. It's coming from within you because that's where Jesus dwells. So you are secure in Christ and you have a wonderful and glorious hope to look forward to. That's what God has done for you. That's who you are, a child of light. So you should give thanks to God for that. And you should live like that's true. Stop washing in the darkness. And instead, live like a child of the light. And all of that's been given to you through the finished work of Christ. Pray with me. Father, thanks for your people, for your church. Thank you for your love, for your grace, and for your mercy. Thank you for your incredible patience and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. Thank you that you can be trusted. Thank you for the good gifts that you've given to us in our relationships, in our, in our marriages. Thank you for the gifts that you have given to us. Thank you for being such an amazing gift giver. Thank you for joy, for happiness, for laughter. But most of all, thank you for Jesus Christ. It's in his name I pray. Amen.